crazy evil. Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Kyle. And this week, uh, Trevor will be catching up on Mandy. That is the cinema he's catching up on from uh, 2018. Um, I know it just came out it was literally just in theaters like a couple months ago and i think it only i think it only was in the theater for like a weekend if i'm not yeah, mistaken so this is a very uh very recent catching up uh kyle saw this movie maybe what a week or two ahead of me or yeah. a week ahead of me <laughs> yeah so yeah, very very recently so yeah this is not a proper uh catching up on cinema but this is a contemporary review much like the one we did for shane black's the predator also from 2018. So yeah, oh. Kyle, why did you have me watch this very shortly after you did? Well, I, I the reason why I watched it in the first place is I had a, a friend of mine, he went to the theater and he saw it. And he came back and I'm like, what'd you go watch? He's like, oh, I watched Mandy. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And he's like, it's the new Nick Cage movie. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> There's a new Nick Cage movie that you went and saw and it's awesome. And he goes, yeah. Because the last Nick Cage movie that I saw that was new was Bangkok Dangerous. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so when he told me, he's like, you have to go, you, have, you need to see this movie. The other movie that he told me to watch was Hereditary. Um, I watched Hereditary first, then this. Um, we, we were talking about it on the Blu-ray. Uh, was it the Blu-ray or the, I think it was the Evil Dead we were talking about it. And Both, like, oh, actually. It's available yeah. on Catching Amazon up. now. Yeah. And... I was like, "Oh snap! I'm gonna go watch it." And I did. Like the next night, I watched. Uh, I watched Mandy, um, and the reason why I wanted you to watch it is because I still don't know how I even feel about it. I like it, but I don't know why, um, and I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to like it. I don't know. It's it's a it's a strange film, um, and I'll just give you the the plot summary real quick, and we can we can talk about it. But um, Nicolas Cage and his girlfriend. Um, the, she's from Oblivion. Uh, she's Tom Cruise's wife, quote unquote, in Oblivion. Remember okay. where he's, um, she plays his this girlfriend. They live out somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Um, he's a uh, lumberjack, and she works at a grocery or a, like a little convenience store slash gas station, probably. Um, she kind of fills her time off by reading and she might have a little bit of some mental issues uh, which is why they kind of like the seclusion and Nick Cage kind of seems like we'll, we'll learn that he's kind of fighting um, addiction himself and the seclusion is nice and they end up getting uh, how do you say uh, they get uh, the, the occult basically finds them kills her and then he seeks his revenge um is the pretty much the plot of the movie yeah that's the broad strokes of it yeah broad stroke um so i'm curious what was your initial reaction watching this um i think i feel like my reaction was probably very similar to yours because it's parts of it are kind of puzzling because mm -hmm. there's the imagery is so um the visual dynamism going on like the visuals are very extreme in this and very loud and the soundtrack is is ever present and gives every scene every shot in the movie this emotional weight to it that there's almost like this uh, oppressive atmosphere going on throughout a huge chunk of the movie that 
even when you don't really know what's happening or why it's happening, it just, everything feels heightened. Everything feels very important. And I don't know what I'm meant to take away from that, but it's very engrossing because of it. It's very engaging. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. So I, uh, a coworker of mine, she would recently seen it. She says she's seen this three times now. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were talking about it and the word grindhouse came up and we talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, there's, it, it's shot, um, the filter is very grainy, um, um, for the most part. And there's, I think there's a few filters and a lot of use of lighting in here, uh, colored lighting. Um, but one of the things we talked about is there's a, a very hallucinogenic way this is shot and actually drugs play a very large part of this movie. Oh yeah. Um, and we were talking about it, and I think that after we did um, The Dark Backward, I was starting to look at um, this movie through that lens of, like, what am I seeing? And when we first are introduced to the cult, mm-hmm. um, who the cult leader, do you know who the cult leader is? Um, I wrote his name down because there was a fun little Easter egg when it came to the casting of him and the drug manufacturer. Uh, the actor's name is Linus Roach, and would you like me to get to the Easter egg right now? Go for it. Uh, so Linus Roach played uh, Thomas Wayne in Batman yes. Begins. So he yes. is Bruce Wayne's father, and uh, the man who manufactures the LSD that seems to be a huge, like the core of so many of the problems that happen in this movie, um, is a gentleman by the name of Richard Brake, who played Joe Chill in Batman Begins, who was the man who <laughs> shot thomas wayne in batman begins he's also in that movie 31 and he is also in the counselor yes um so yeah we have batman's dad and the man who killed batman's dad in the same movie separate from each other but in the same movie so um we're not we'll kind of walk through the plot a little bit um i don't want to do a whole plot synopsis um i don't think it's necessary i think you should watch this movie Mm -hmm. um but one of the things that uh we see is that this cult seems to be affiliated with some kind of supernatural biker gang from what we can gather. Um, and that, uh, Tom Wayne is that his is Thomas Wayne. Is sure. That? Yeah. Tom Wayne, <laughs> the cult leader is basically, he passes Nicholas Cage's girlfriend or wife. He passes her and he's like obsessed with her. He's like, I have to have her. Basically this dude has just like drugged these followers into believing him. He is very, he, he speaks very well. He sounds like he's really smart, but he's really just dosing these people with LSD and or some kind of hallucinogenic drug, and he's got them in like a trance. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he tells the one guy, he's like, go, he's like, basically go call on this demonic biker gang. And the guy hands this dude a jar, and he just starts chugging it. And we're like, we have no idea what's happening in this movie so far. It's very, <laughs> it's very weird. So... What I gathered, what I figured out was what we're seeing from this cult's point of view is they're so fucked up on drugs that we're supposed to think that this is a demonic biker gang when in actuality it's just a biker gang. Mm-hmm. And they're actually perceiving them as like kind of like Scarecrow when Scarecrow hits you with his dust, like the the mask starts shaking and yeah, bugs yeah. start crawling out. I think it's the same idea. Um, I'm not sure how consistent it was, but that's, I think that's definitely hard to ignore. Like that, that definitely felt like it was 
in play, like the perspective element when it came to the the extremes of the, the visuals go to. Um, once we realized that it's one, once I realized that it was drug, what it was LSD more or less. Mm-hmm. That's when those elements went away, and I think that's why is because we figured out that it's it was LSD that was given to him. Um, so them seeming demonic kind of vanishes because well, we're like, oh, go ahead. Um, I feel like maybe it's too early to get into this, but um, I noticed one thing with the the title character, Mandy, uh, Nick Cage's girlfriend. Um, there are a couple of visual elements about her that really stood out to me, and I feel like there is more than likely some symbolism that goes mm-hmm. hand in hand with it. Um, one, she has a scar on her face. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't put much stock in that. But what I did um, notice was one of her eyes, the pupil and the iris, were enlarged. Just one of her eyes, the one, mm-hmm. the one on the side of her face that wasn't scarred. And uh, a lot of her scenes when she's by herself or with Nick Cage um, have like a blue lighting scheme to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like Kyle mentioned, the uh, the colors in this film are very extreme. Um, I don't know how much of it is lighting and how much of it is color grading and color correction. I'm sure mm-hmm. it's it's a combination of both. But the one thing that's really important about the look of this film is that the color palette is very extreme and very loud. Um, very few films are lit naturalistically. Uh, very few scenes, rather. Um, but yeah, a lot of her scenes, like when she's walking in the woods right before the cult pulls up to her, um, or rolls up on her, um, I believe the woods are splashed in blue. And when the cult comes around, though, everything's red. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what what the symbolism is there, but I feel like maybe the, the thing with her eye had something to do with either referencing drugs or referencing uh like maybe a perspective of some of some sort because she's shown to be a an amazing artist mm-hmm. um when she's introduced to us in fact um she's drawing or painting and and uh we get this neat like crossfade montage of her work with like a smoky layer of film over it and it's really surreal like incredible artwork involving a lot of nature like animals and and women and things like that and i don't i think that may be married with like the closing shots of the film where uh, we get a flashback of nick cage i'm presuming like i'm assuming like meeting her for the first time uh, her side of the room is like tinged in blue whereas his is completely naturalistically lit so maybe it's like she sees the world differently than he does or like taps into something that your average person can't and that's part of what makes her special well i do i do want to point out in the beginning scenes um that she is smoking something um i would assume i I think it 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 looks like it could be weed it could also be um opium even we're not really not really entirely sure it's supposed to take place in the 80s by the way from when i can gather 83 83 um i'm assuming it's pot um and and considering how skinny she is like she's very very like frail looking um she might have a little bit of a we don't we don't see it at least i don't think we do i don't she might have a pill problem she might have like a like a painkiller opioid um well he has a drinking problem that's for sure he's on the wagon yeah Um, he's he's a recovering alcoholic mm -hmm. i'm guessing because the location of that uh booze he grabs is a suspect that is hitting that <laughs> yeah. is hitting yeah that's I clearly hidden <laughs> that's a great scene 
I love that scene. Yeah, it's movie. a fantastic scene. It's it's really great. Um, this is gonna be the Chris Farley show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, remember when Nick Cage was in the bathroom? That was really I, I, cool. I I um a thing I like is that when the cult leader drives by and sees her, he's just like, I need her, and she look like she's wearing like a black Sabbath shirt. You yeah. can tell that she's got some issues going on inside, and I believe from what I can gather or from what I can remember is this is kind of what cult leaders prey on is people who are emotionally vulnerable, mm-hmm. and I think that he could sense that he could see from her outer appearance like she looks lost, like she looks like she's struggling with something, and that's what they prey on. Um, and this cult leader is a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> that um, he is. He's very pathetic. But there's some nice dialogue exchanges between um, Nick Cage and Mandy. Um, what's his name in this? I don't even Red. think I wrote it down. What uh, is it? Red. Red. Okay. I don't think it's ever spoken. If it is, it's maybe once. But um, I I have a habit of watching movies with the subtitles on, and he speaks off screen at least once, and it says Red colon. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, they they have a few dialogue scenes. She tells a story. I don't want to, to repeat the story, but it's a story that you can. It basically lets us know that she's got some mental mental uh, mental illness issues. You no, know, she has some trauma. Mm-hmm. Of some sort, some trauma. Um, I like the couple of scenes that they had together. It, it was it reminded me of couples that I know actually, where it's like you can tell that it's like these people have a special relationship. This is this is how those people talk. Or it's, mm-hmm. it felt very naturalistic. In fact, I'm pretty sure Nick Cage slipped in some lines there, like when they're talking about planets. He mentions Galactus, and mm-hmm. he's he's he known to be a comic book dork in real life, and like. He, he says, "Knock, knock. Who's there?" Eric Estrada from Chips. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's it's like dorky humor that I could totally see, like a a couple like exchanging between each other, and you can tell that she takes a lot of comfort in him, especially especially when you see her how she interacts with other people. Like, she meets one of the cult members in the store that she's working at, and it is an awkward exchange of dialogue. But even before they start talking to each other, you can tell that she's Mandy is a is very evasive and mm-hmm. just kind of wants to be left alone. Yeah. So you can tell that she probably relates to Nick Cage much better than she does most other people. Well, there's something really interesting that happens where they're having a discussion and uh, he's like, "We need to move out of here." And she's like, "Well, I like it here." Yeah. And I think that it's it's an interesting um, dynamic where I think that she is very comfortable where she's at of being away from everybody, whereas Nick Cage is you know he's working long hours as a lumberjack, and he gets he might be like being out there he's like yeah, I work long hours like now I'm just bored I don't have anything to do out here so all that's on my mind is drinking that's why I have a bottle of booze hidden in the bathroom yeah um, I think that might have been his the the motivation for him like we we should move out of here. Um, and I, it's, it's kind of, it's interesting to think about, like you have two people that are having trouble with their own inner issues and how one place for the one person could be just not healthy for the other. And I, I don't know if it's healthy, if it's a matter of health or not, but I mean, they did a good job of showing, I think someone on the helicopter offered him something when they're coming back and he refuses and like makes a face and I think it was a beer. Maybe yeah, it was a beer, and he refuses. Um, I I think like 
their home is kind of like their refuge. Like you get mm-hmm. the sense that I got the sense anyway that neither of them kind of fits in very well. I mean, lumberjack is not a terribly social job. No, not <laughs> and, and, and and your one friend in the woods lives in a trailer that you know <laughs> with with yeah. his with his dog. Like, yeah, these are not people that function well in like the big city or something. So I feel like the where they're located. And by the way, did you did you happen to clue in on like the the on-screen titles throughout the movie? There's a few of them. A couple of title slides. Like uh, like we're changing chapters. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I did um, catch some of those. Um, the first one uh, when Nick Cage is coming home is uh, I think it said the Shadow Mountains. Um, yeah, so she's reading a book throughout this. Uh, yes, she is, and it could be chapter headings. Uh, it is, I believe. Uh, the book is called Seeker of the Serpent's Eye by Lenora Tor, and I haven't actually checked to see if it's an, if it's a real book. I think I did try to find out if it was a real book. I don't think it is. But I mean, I don't know if the chapter headings are taken from the book. Um I would I would not be surprised if they were. Um some Im- some some imagery is definitely it definitely worms its way into the actual film. Like she mentions a uh, green glowing object of some sort that makes an appearance in a dream sequence that Nick Cage has later on. Uh one of the <laughs> one of the heavy metal animated sequences. <laughs> Uh, so it's actually it was a song written for the movie. So I don't think it's based off an actual book. Um, but I guess we can we can kind of work, work through the plot a little bit here. So, like we said, with they're living together, and the cult leader has got his eye caught, and um, he basically says to one of his minions, he's like, "Hey, I need you to go get her." And the dude's like, "I will absolutely take care of this for you." Yeah, there's um, a neat there's a neat demonstration of power here, where uh, you yeah. can t- he's a master manipulator in the sense that he knows how to read push. the per- yeah. he knows how to push the right buttons so there's yeah. an elderly woman i think marlene was her name uh that he's super hard on oh like, very like much. he pushes her away every chance he gets and i'm guessing that's because he knows that that's how he can get her to do what he needs her to do she's desperate for some kind of validation exactly and he's not giving it to her whereas the other gentleman who he calls into the room next uh he's just super like he's in love with him like the the old yeah. man's in love with him yeah basically. They, he's basically like leading him on almost and yes, he, he he's like placing nice. his palms on his cheeks and like treating him like his most trusted disciple mm-hmm. and uh when he sends him off on this mission to capture mandy he, he basically he's, yeah he's like i need i need you to bring this girl back to me like and this man is all in like he's 100 percent committed to the task um he entrusts something called the Horn of Abraxas to yes. this gentleman, <laughs> and we yes. get this really strange thing that um, if it if the if the crazy color palette of this movie wasn't consistent throughout, I think it would be really cheesy and really stupid looking. But mm-hmm. when he hands him this quote unquote Horn of Abraxas, which looks like a, a lava rock ocarina, um, mm-hmm. we get a shot of their hands meeting and there's this like green strobe light (laughs) flashing over him (laughs) it it just looks so weird and and chintzy but um it it works um so yeah so he basically the old the older guy um he also has him send in one of the other cult the young cult girl basically for sex like that's it's implied yeah Yeah, she shuts Um, the door behind her whereas everyone else left it open (laughs) You can get the operation that he's running here. Yeah. Um, 
and you know what he's wanting the other girl for. So they summon the biker gang and they have a chemist and he makes some kind of super powerful LSD. It's like uh, whatever that stuff Walter White makes, like it's just super strong. And um, we're led to believe that this is a supernatural biker gang. Um, they're all they all are dressed in like gimp suits, and they have chains and spikes and all kinds of stuff on them, and they're pretty terrifying. Yeah, he summons them by blowing the horn a couple of times, and then they just wait a couple minutes and they show up. Yeah, I think they were standing by. Honestly, um, I mean that would be my guess. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot going on in this movie that um, it goes out of its way to try to explain every element with like a with an explanation that's that's ground in reality. Mm-hmm. But then some parts of it don't quite translate as well. Like for instance, how did him blowing on a lava rock make these bikers appear? <laughs> Honestly, like like your brother said, like this is a heightened like we're I think we're experiencing not like from. Um, uh, Judd Nelson's point of view in the dark backward, I think we're interpreting from scene to scene whoever's in that scene. In this particular case, this guy is blowing the horn, and then this demonic biker ganger coming up. In his mind, this is like supernatural, whereas the cult leader could have easily just had these guys chilling out down the road. They know the score. They just had, he just has to keep them happy with LSD because they're fucking just degenerates. They will get to that. Uh, that that's a scene that also doesn't make a lot of sense. In well, I, to be fair, I mean, I, I approach movies with an analytical mindset, but I turned it off when I was watching this. I wasn't. This is not. No, this I, is not the place for that. No, I, I actually was more than willing to accept everything as just pure fantasy. This is uh, how I, I try to watch movies is like you start watching this and you're like you kind of just have to accept what's happening. Just let's just see. Let's just watch the movie. This is one of those movies like just watch it. Don't no, I, I wasn't trying to bring logic into things, but for, like for once the movie was kind of do, like doing it for me and it was kind of irritating because I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I was perfectly willing to accept demon <laughs> bikers, but now you're telling me they're not demons. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> um. So yeah, so they go into this is a really creepy scene, and I'm pretty sure it's from the trailer. You can see it in the trailer. Um, they invade their house, um, and yeah, the Cenobite bikers and uh, the cult invade uh, Mandy and Reds. Uh, man, they have a gorgeous house, by the way. Yeah, I do really, really like their that's house. a gorgeous house. The, yeah, the, the glass paneling everywhere is oh, it's beautiful. That's what you do. You you go way up north and you. Get your own little little piece of land. Get you out in the woods, and you, you can spend money. Get you a nice piece of property and spend money on your dream house. Um, <laughs> yeah, this whole scene is like strobe lit, so you get it like, is. Um, you get some flashes of images. Um, most most of it is difficult to make out, but you get the most a important parts. Yeah, you, um, you get a pretty good sense of what's. This happening. is also uh, when uh, they sacrifice the fat man. Yes, they who, they do the who, they sacrifice the fat guy. Uh, he's <laughs> dead weight i get it uh um but they're like a sacrifice or something like that and i think they just wanted to kill somebody like if you're gonna try to ground this in reality i'll try i'll try to do that along the way since you turned off your analytical mind i'm basically the i'm just saying that these biker dudes are psychopaths these are just a group of crazy people that are doing drugs and killing and just doing whatever they oh, want that, i mean the movie basically explicitly says that's what they are yeah 
and that's, that's kind are. of how I tried to interpret them. Except you know sometimes they do things that don't quite make sense. But um, funny enough, the the fat man um, reminded me of one of the people from the Fifth Element. Is like the the he's like a celebrity that's on the cruise ship with them. Oh yeah, he tried about, yeah. like Bruce Willis asks him for a gun and he tosses him the pool ball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, don't do they stab? They don't stab him at this point. What do they do to Nick Cage at this point? Um, so they restrain both Mandy and Nick Cage. Um, kind of creepy. Uh, they're both like laying on the ground, like with their cheeks pressed to the floor, and they're staring at each other. And they knock Cage out, and then they take her away. Uh, they take her to the kitchen, and I think the next scene is uh, she wakes up in the kitchen, and that's when they dose her. Yes, because they've taken over that house. I thought they took her to another location. Yeah, they, no, it, it, in, is, it, it, isn't re- it isn't clear until a little later that they just stuck around. <laughs> like, so yeah, but they turned on all the lights, <laughs> and it looks way different. Yeah, everybody's eyes are the size of like the eight ball, just like their eyes are fully black. You can tell that they're all on this drug. Oh, yeah. Um, and they the the older ladies explain to her like listen you just got to be good she hates her like she does not like her at all and you can see the poor young girl is just like she's trapped like she's there's nothing she can do to get out of there she's she says something to her i can't remember but she says something about like everything's a beautiful dream you can tell she's just cracked out yeah like she's it, not she's all there lost it um and the, here we enter one of the most interesting scenes in the movie the the scene where they have her tied up in the living room and the cult are all just kind of splayed out in the living room on couches and chairs and um this is where uh thomas wayne is basically telling her like he's trying to convince her of his his awesomeness as a cult leader and he's he's moving very seductively he puts on his own music by the way Oh, he does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kind of, I guess you could say, kind of Manson-ish. Well, he he says, he prefaces things by asking, do you like the Carpenters? (laughs) Yeah. And then he puts on his own record. It has him on the cover and everything. (laughs) Uh, It's a song written by him about himself. So clearly he's, you know, maybe a little narcissistic. Um, And yeah, he... He whips it out. Oh yeah, he's he. But before that, this is where we get the really the really neat scene of him, like we're a close up of of his face, and as he's talking to her, her face is kind of fading into his and fading out, and it's really really neat. If you've ever smoked pot or um, taken mushrooms, this would be a good time to do that because it would be a very a very strange see actually my buddy he i asked him like did you did you smoke any pot he's like i ate an edible before i watched it and <laughs> i'm like how how was that scene he's like it was crazy like it was a, it was a really neat visual um going back and forth and yeah um he showed he he's naked and she amused by this or just completely just whacked out just starts laughing at him <laughs> yeah like, this is what I've heard you're supposed to do when people expose themselves, actually, is you're mm-hmm. supposed to point and laugh because they're wanting to shock you or entice you. And if you point and laugh at them, it's actually like the opposite of what they want to achieve. <laughs> um, and that's exactly what happens here. Um, so now this is where 
this is where the movie took a turn into a completely different movie. Like, this is not what I was expecting. Um, up until this point, it's just kind of trippy. We don't really know what the movie's going to do yet. And it's only about 20 minutes in, 20, 25 minutes in, I'd say. Um, this is a fairly short movie, if I'm not mistaken. No, it's two hours. It didn't feel like it for me. <laughs> no, that's a two-hour movie. What? Yeah, you're right. Two <laughs> hours and one minute. Um, so, yeah. Uh, now they have Nick Cage tied up outside. And now the cult leader is basically just verbally abusing him, telling him he's a piece of shit. Yeah, you guys get are... the, the first of many uh, Jesus images here. Mm. Um, and they pull Mandy out of the house in a sleeping bag and while Nick Cage is tied up with barbed wire that yeah also uh, another um, barbed uh, wire they stab him underneath the rib mm -hmm. Uh, later he gets a nail through the hand I wonder if this is allegory like maybe we're missing something I don't know it's too many layers man (laughs) um yeah, he they string her up and they burn her alive right in front of him. And there's yeah. literally nothing he can do. This is probably one of the most terrifying things you could think of for somebody. <laughs> like for a significant other, somebody you care about, or just another human being in general. Mm-hmm. Hearing somebody burn alive is, I'm sure, horrific. Like it's one of the last things you'd ever want to hear. And he's watching it happen right in front of him. Yeah. Um, um, the thing thing that i thought was really interesting about that is um what you said hearing hearing somebody you love being burned alive um they yeah. do not do that mm-hmm. um it's it's, pre- right. it's presented fairly tastefully where uh we get a lot of really intimate close-ups of nick cage putting in a fucking performance like Very showing p- just pure anguish i'm glad you brought this up and then uh the the score in this movie to me is almost a character unto itself maybe even the most effective character in the whole movie um score was done by a gentleman by the name of johan johansson uh he is dead uh he Mm. died in february of this year i remember because i was watching the academy awards and uh he was one of the in remembrance people and i I remember like actually like sitting forward in my seat and my parents were like who the fuck is that (laughs) (laughs) and uh he composed um denis villeneuve uh, uh prisoners Arrival, oh. Sicario. He did all oh, of those right. movies. You're absolutely right because I remember I looked him up too because I knew that was something you were going to ask about he is, or you were going to bring up. I was really up on him, and to to learn that he's gone really sucked to me because he put in some great work over the past few years, like he's over just the years. past few years, man. He he did some great scores, and this one is one of his last. All and, those movies are really good that you mentioned too. Like they're all not really, just really, really good. good movies, but musically very very strong and uh the score for this is like the score for sicario um Mm -hmm. put through a john carpenter filter (laughs) um it has that like thrumming like vicious feel to it that sicario had i guess uh, the best description i've heard of the score for sicario is like it's oppressive like it Mm -hmm. it it sounds like a a monster like snarling at you at times it's great stuff and the score in the score in mandy is very similar and the whole scene when Mandy's being burned is largely just music, and then 
close-ups of everyone participating in the burning, their facial expressions and how they're reacting to it. So yeah, now we we have our motivation for Red at this point. He's very upset, but I want you, I'm glad you brought up that um, we don't hear screaming, and this is something that I brought up to somebody else, um, which is what my big concern with this movie. I'm like, it's a Nick Cage movie. I'm like, he, I hope he's not caging out. We all know what caging out is. Uh, he screams and it's really funny, or he overacts and he's trying to give a legit performance. This was a good way because he doesn't have a good scream. Um, this is you can watch any of his movies he can't yell it's just not good um, and this it was so good because they don't have you can't hear him but you can see it yeah. and I'm glad you brought that up like yeah you don't hear it and it's a good thing we don't because it would be I think it would be humorous if if you were able to hear him uh, probably um, uh, but he does he does cage out in this movie but it's very good he cages I out think. a couple of times in this movie and it's it's used well um, it is used very well. Just one little side note. Um, oh, when when they stab Cage while he's tied up right before the burning, um, the instrument that they used to stab him, uh, I wrote it down. The name is called the Tainted Blade from the Pale Knight. Um, and this guy's a douchebag. <laughs> just, just like the uh, Horn of Abraxas, um, when it is handed off to the gentleman who uses it, the elderly guy, um it's also got that that green strobe light on it. It's like I don't know if I don't know what significance that's supposed to have, but to me it was very cheesy, but in an amusing way, and consistent with the imagery in the rest of the movie. It just, it just stood out to me because it only happens like twice, and both times it's with these supposedly sacred artifacts. But like you said, maybe from the perspective of the people handling these things, I mean, the Horn of Abraxas could have been a CB radio for all we know. Yeah, uh, the the tainted blade from the pale knight could have just been a Bowie knife or something. Yeah, it could have um, just been a Bowie so knife. So from from the perspective of the the drug addled guy handling the knife, maybe he sees it with that like spectral lighting on it. Like, oh my god, it's this amazing artifact. It's like, no, it's a fucking kitchen knife. <laughs> um, back to I don't know if I mentioned it yet, but I talked to somebody about this, and uh, my coworker she said that it has a grindhouse feel kind of from the lenses but also from the story um if you think about it this is is from like the 80s um the satanic cults were kind of popping up i think around i'm not sure what part of the 70s especially actually that was Um, really big really big so this kind of has like a grindhouse feel where we're just kind of going with cliched evil um whereas like evil cult comes in kills the wife and now the guy has to take vengeance um well i mean think of death wish and and uh mad max it's it's a it's kind of an archetypal story of mm-hmm. home invasion followed by you know ruthless revenge mm-hmm. and and um, no no redemption is, at the end of the road too but i think the psychedelic element of the movie is supposed to kind of be kind of an ode to that like that that era of filmmaking the grindhouse era of like oh late 60s 70s like psychedelic um i want to read i want to read more about this movie ever since she put that in my head now i'm trying to make it i'm trying to make it fit into that well so there's a lot of things in here that feel like uh i feel like it's the director kind of putting their personal stamp on it kind Mm -hmm. of like saying saying like damn the consequences i want this to be in this because this is my movie Mm -hmm. like the color palette it's it's like it's very extreme it's very audacious actually like i don't know many movies that would go to the lengths that this one did to 
kind of burn your eyeballs and uh mm-hmm. and then there's a lot of like weird little references here and there like i mentioned galactus and eric mm-hmm. estrada from chips and then she has a motley crew and a black sabbath t-shirt um, we have a couple of animated sequences that didn't really need to be animated the only consistency between them is that every time it's nick cage dreaming so maybe um, I, maybe he dreams in heavy metal <laughs> actually i think Nick Cage, I know that there's a video of Nick Cage breaking up a fight between Vince Neal and some dude. Vince Neal was drunk as shit. Um, I think maybe Nick Cage is even a Motley Crue fan. But I wouldn't doubt I'm it. Too, but um, even the location, um, when when Mandy is working, uh, Marlene at, like, when she's talking to Marlene at the store. Yeah. Uh, she's She names the location as Crystal Lake, as mm-hmm. in Friday the 13th. Yeah. And uh, when Mandy and Nick Cage are watching TV, I recognize the fucking movie. It's Night Beast. It's a it's a B horror movie from like the eighty eighties. It's it's just a trashy sci fi horror movie. Um, so it, I feel like the director is, I mean, he's va- he's vastly more talented than a B movie director for sure. But I feel like maybe his comfort zone is is in those trashy movies. But he's just too agree. he's just too talented to to stoop to that level, I guess. Um, well, he also has. He probably um, has a, a great appreciation for those films. Um, I mentioned it before. I don't know if we were recording when I mentioned it, but uh, the director is. Uh, how do you say it? Panos um, Cosmatos. Yes. And I believe he worked on Tombstone as, uh, as part of the camera crew, but I think, yeah, he's the son of uh, George Cosma- uh, Cosmatos. Yeah. Um, director of Cobra and Tombstone. Yes. Um, so I think that while he may like those movies and he's like, he's better than that, but also I think he's kind of got a leg up and that um, he's going to have a lot more tools at his disposal than those directors from that period. Yeah. But I mean, let's not mince words here. Cobra is not a work of art, <laughs> nor nor is Tombstone in, in the traditional sense. So I, I do not like Tombstone. I might be the only one. I I love it, but mostly for ironic reasons. It's just like en- it's enjoyable, but it's not a quality film. But I think it's enjoyable. A little too long, but it's um, a bit long. But yeah, um, so after the burning, uh, we get a scene of the cult just pulling away very casually. Yeah. They just leave Nick Cage very casually. Nick Cage powers his way out of the barbed wire. Uh, his He's basically chained to a post. Um, he just kind of muscles his way out of it after a while. Um, and then he goes in the house, and there's a TV commercial on uh, for something called Cheddar Goblin. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah, a, it's, a, it's an advertisement that they show at length, by the way, yeah. um, of a goblin mascot that barfs macaroni and cheese on little kids. It's some, mm-hmm. it's some product that in the Mandy universe is apparently a something you can buy at the store and then following the commercial uh, we get the like was it the national security test screen where it's just the white noise sound um but i thought it was so funny um it wasn't meant to be but it was really funny um so nick cage is in absolute anguish he's just he's grieving like he's in he's emotion grieving. he's in emotional shock right now yeah he's in emotional shock he's bleeding heavily yeah uh, and, and probably he's, a little concussed as well yeah he got pretty roughed up yeah. So he's just coming into the house. His wife slash girlfriend or whatever, she's gone. She's dead. Um, he got to see her ashes blow away in the wind, by the way. That was such a heavy... It was That was a rough scene. Yeah. So he's 
devastated. And the first thing he comes across is Cheddar Goblin. And mm-hmm. then before he like passes out on the floor, he just mutters to himself, Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> Like, he actually says Trevor Goblin. And he just yeah. and he just passes out. It like, goes right out. I was wow. like, that's perfect. I mean, I don't know if any other actor could have done that. No, Trevor Goblin. But just, then, we, yeah. then we get the bathroom scene that you probably have a lot to say about. Uh, yeah, I think it's. Um, I was expecting at some point, and like he's going to survive. He's going to take revenge. He's going to cage out, which means he's going to scream he's gonna do like he's just gonna i guess overact would be the way to put it and he after his long nap like he was just exhausted you know um before he tries to patch himself up um he grabs a bottle of vodka or some kind of bottle of liquor and this was this was an interesting scene because we we know that he's on the wagon and he's hidden booze in his his bathroom so i think he pours a little bit he he takes a big glug and then he pours it on the wound a little bit and he starts kind of yelling and then he's he's chugging the, the the alcohol and he's like holding his throat and somebody asked me like why is he holding his throat i'm like liquor burns your throat yeah, and he's even taking, i know that <laughs> he's taking gargantuan chugs like pulls off of this bottle he's putting it down like i think he put down half of it over half of it in this scene and while he's doing it he's just like he's he's coming to basically like he's getting out of shock and he's realized what's happened and he's just fucking angry and he's in his underwear which makes it kind of funny at the same that that should tell you something like he was in his underwear and he still made this a good scene screaming like that um yeah i really liked it i thought it was a good way for him to use that high energy that he brings to performances sometimes yeah it's a it's kind of an interesting scene because he like he takes us through multiple layers of the emotional spectrum it's mm-hmm. inside of a couple of minutes so he he storms into the bathroom and this is all shot in like one take from one angle yeah. and a hideous bathroom by the way yeah, it's, it's like it's, it has that like 70s not wood paneling but like that weird blotchy orange and brown tile set on the wall oh, and like God, the the that. shaggy carpets and stuff it looks yeah. terrible it looks bad gorgeous house hideous bathroom but yeah, he he storms into the bathroom. He under the sink is where the vodka's stored, and yeah, he he pours it on his wrist wounds and his his stomach wound where he's stabbed, and he takes big swigs of it. And initially, he's angry. He's 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 sh- like shaking with rage, and he's banging against the wall and just going. Yeah. And then he works his way over the toilet, and then he starts crying. Yeah, but but it's like like an angry kind of cry like just like like ah, i'm so upset kind of cry then he keeps drinking and then he gets just sad like sad cry like oh my god she's gone cry and so we we go from like this elevated just like heightened energy level to just he slows down and gets and goes down to the darkest depths all all in the space of like a minute or two well, yeah, well, during this time, it takes alcohol about six minutes to affect the brain, I think, and he is pounding. He's pounding this alcohol, So, and it's a depressant. So, yeah, we're we're getting him just, like, basically winding down. Because he also hasn't had a drink in a while, so he's fucked up at this point. Well, I uh, feel like, too, it's, 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 like, probably a way to cover up the emotional pain with physical pain. Because... Mm. I noticed him clutching his throat too, and I figured it out pretty quick what was what he was why he was doing that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like 
having to focus on the physical pain was probably welcome at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, now now the movie is shifting. We're gonna shift into a different kind of movie, because um, the Mandy dying was just really heavy, and now we're well. And the the two scenes directly preceding that were very long. Yes. Um, the we didn't talk about this, but um, when she's drugged up, and and uh, Thomas Wayne <laughs> is speechifying at her, that's mm-hmm. a very long scene. It is a very long. It's and a good, the burning, the burning is also very long, and they're back to back. Yeah, I think those two scenes are probably ten minutes a piece, if I had to guess. No, yeah. not quite. They're about so, eight minutes a it, piece. It's it's, getting it's probably there. fifteen minutes altogether. So now the movie's shifting, and this is where he goes to build Duke's trailer. That's correct. Um, and this is where we get a little bit of exposition from him. Um, he doesn't. He, he doesn't tell or. Um, Nick Cage doesn't tell him what he's hunting, but Bill Duke kind of pieces it together um, that he's not hunting animals. And he, <laughs> Nick Cage comes back to his trailer and he asks for his uh, crossbow. The Reaper. Um, the Reaper. <laughs> uh, which makes me believe that Nick Cage might have had a little bit of a dark past himself, a red, uh, the character. Um, if he Bill, asks him. Bill Duke has a army jacket, so maybe they serve together or something. I mean, I mean, eighty-three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even piece that together. Yeah, that's a good point. Um. So yeah, Bill Duke kind of explains to him. Does he tell him that there's a biker gang? And Bill Duke's like, "What would they look like?" And he's like, "They were all wearing masks." <laughs> um, Cage's Cage's acting in the scene is. I feel like the script didn't do him any favors because it is, it is goofy. Mm-hmm. He's just like he's just like trippy bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> he's like weird hippie people. That's like the the emotional impact is there because his acting, like his facial acting and his physicality is there, but the words he's saying is just like yeah. okay. So basically, he through sentence fragments explains to Bill Duke that yeah, uh, this happened. So weird hippies and crazy trippy biker people. And Bill Duke explains to him, like, yeah, they're uh, some kind of weird biker gang, hard to find, uh, real bad dudes, just yeah. going through, doing all kinds of bad stuff. Um, apparently they're, like, masochists or something. Yeah. And uh, Nick Cage's plan is to, how he's going to get to the cult leader is he's going he's gonna to track these guys down. Um, we get a scene where he's perched up on a hill and he's somehow found him. We're not explained how. Hey, he finds hey, him. hey! Don't don't skip the axe. What axe? Oh my! <laughs> how dare uh, you skip the I axe? I'm so sorry. Please take it away. I apologize. Um, now, see, this is where things like the the perspective start to enter into the picture. Where it's like, mm-hmm. is this axe really what we see, or is this just a weapon of some sort that he made? Because the axe that he has that we see in the film is. <laughs> uh, it's beyond an axe. It is like one piece of metal with a, an additional grip at the at the at the axe head. Uh, it's got a spike in the hilt. It is a death machine. Oh, it is! It is metal as yeah, hell. Yeah, like, it, it is, is metal as fuck. Yeah, it is super. <laughs> and we heavy we metal. watch him build it from scratch. So I'm curious. Like, is this just like his revenge and booze tainted mind? like transposing this super metal axe onto 
what's probably just a normal X or I don't know. See, yeah. this is where I stop trying to make sense of things. <laughs> um, that's what I'm saying. At this point, we're just going along for the ride. Um, so yeah, he saddles up and he he tracks down this biker gang, and um, I'm guessing he knows that if you pick off the person in the very in the very back, the people in the front are going to realize it for a while. Um, which he does. He hits the guy with the with the crossbow, but he doesn't kill him. Yeah, and. Uh, he ends up going up to him. He tries to run him over. He tries to run him over. It and then what the out. fuck happened? <laughs> his uh, truck flipped. Um, I think he might have shot his tire or something. I don't know. Something happens. But basically, Cage going to get this guy does not go well. And he gets captured by the biker. Again. <laughs> he gets captured within 10 minutes of having been captured previously. It's really a bummer when you see you're like, fuck. He just... He just... Oh, you're ready for him to rampage and he just he gets captured so <laughs> now we get to probably one of the weirdest scenes of the movie I mm-hmm. think um, actually this is where the movie shifts back to like okay a new movie starting like wait wait wait, wait. there's still that other movie that you were watching mm-hmm. um, the trippy one so he's in um, he comes to and he's chained to like a some kind of pipe or a, or he's a handcuffed to some kind of piper whatever um and there's a gimp uh and what is the gimp doing to him uh so nick cage's other hand is uh nailed to the floor again yes. more more jesus imagery um the gimp is just like fiddling around at a tool like at a table and then he he notices that cage is awake and uh he he cuts him with a knife on the chest and nick cage retorts with like that was my favorite shirt and then uh, uh, Cage discovers that the pipe is, is a little loose, so he's rotating it to try to get it free. And uh, he c- kind of, like, convinces the gimp guy to keep roughing him up. So he's just, like, punch him in the face. He's not really doing anything creative. He's just punching him. <laughs> he calls him. I had to write down the quote when I was watching it. He says, you're a vicious snowflake. Yeah. <laughs> <It's so weird. laughs> yeah, that's what he says right before he, he uh, takes him out. Yeah, yeah he, uh, he such a funny line. He uh, gets the pipe loose from the wall. He smacks the gimp with it a couple times, and they fall through a pit to nowhere—a pit of death. Like it, they are—are are they like perched up on an abandoned dam or something? No, they're know, in a what, house. I know, I'm in like, the basement of a house. They built a house on a hole <laughs> to to <laughs> hell. <laughs> It, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I don't care. It doesn't make sense, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this, this gimp just falls down this hole into the abyss. And then Cage, oh. uh, before leaving the room, grabs a vest from one of, I guess, one of the bikers left it. Uh, it looks like a tactical vest, but like yeah. char- charred. And uh, yeah, yeah. and then well, he grabs a, uh, a uh, box opener. Uh, yeah, like a, a hobby knife, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, heads upstairs. And... Heads upstairs, and then we get into the house that these dirtbags are staying in. Um, <laughs> he passes a, a bedroom, which has—I'm guessing—they don't live in this. I, I see. That's why I think I don't think they live in this house. No, I think because... they just—they just like came in and invaded it, and they're just staying there. So there's a—it looks like an older husband and wife, and the husband is dead. They're clearly both dead, and. Um, the husband is kind of bent over the bed and there's blood on him and vaguely and it's just kind of a weird it's a weird shot and then he 
turns around to the living room, and I think the guy is just listening to static on the TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's mm-hmm. on the TV? Porn. Oh, hardcore porno. Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. <laughs> um, he goes in the room, and it basically looks like one of the guys from Slipknot. Um, yeah, actually, I wrote... What number is it? Horn of Abraxas. Lava rock that's lit with green strobes? Ocarina? Summons quad and biker slipknot slash guar demons, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse Bless. me. I think I'm getting sick. Um, <laughs> yes, the first thing I saw was like, that looks, he looks like he's from Slipknot. But he's actually bent down over the um, over the coffee table, and he is doing Tony Montana, like, sh- doing coke straight up the nose. A, a mountain of coke. Um and he's wearing, if you've ever seen the movie Seven. Yes, I have in fact <laughs> seen the movie Seven. <laughs> he is wearing a bladed um, strap on, so you kind of need to. You've seen the movie Seven if you're watching Mandy. If I had to guess, so a, um, de- a detail that Kyle neglected to point out about the dead couple in the room directly preceding this was that the gentleman had blood splotches towards his buttocks. Oh, I said that. I said he has <laughs> blood on him, vaguely. But um, there's a specific region wherein that blood is located. <laughs> I didn't want to give it away so soon. I wanted to wait too much. <laughs> well, you said he had a bladed strap on, so I just figured people yeah. should know what was done with it. I think that the blood on the dude would have been much worse. Like, I feel like that would cause a lot more damage than what you we're think? seeing. You but... <laughs> Maybe yeah, maybe, maybe he wiped him off to, or something. Maybe they had to trade, like they had to trim it. Like no, 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 we can't. <laughs> the producers are just like nah, nah, man, come on. <laughs> Never get this movie released. Um, so these two go at it, and then another gimp comes in. Um, yeah, because they're all wearing like they're all wearing the same gimp mask. They're all they, there's mask. minor variations. The first gimp had something that looks kind of similar to. Uh, I mean, I haven't actually seen him, but the the marketing for those Purge movies looks like okay. looks like a plastic mask that has some material pasted onto it. So mm-hmm. it, it the the source material is clear, but it has like stuff put on it. Um, they had the the first Gimp has like goo all over him. He's very goopy. Oh, yeah. He has like mucus. And then uh, the one with the strap on is very fat. He's very heavy set, and mm-hmm. he looks like from head to toe just covered in tar. Uh, the third one, I almost wanted to say looked looked kind of like the female Cenobite. Um, oh yes, 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 she does. It kind of, it, I feel like it probably maybe it was female, and then the fourth one was the one that chugged the jar, and it has like mm. what looks like a burlap sack over its head. Um, but yeah, the the third gimp runs into the room after uh, Cage dispatches the fat one um, with that box cutter that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. It's pretty savage. Pretty goopy. It's pretty gross. Yeah. Um, but then this third one goes out like a chump. <laughs> third one comes in with a shotgun, misses. Cage just like runs up to him and Steven Seagal's them. Like mm-hmm. it's just a head turn, just a <laughs> yeah. But That's pretty right, good. right nice before scene. that though, um, <laughs> right before that though, um, uh, Cage gets his shirt cut by the third gimp, and he says, "You ripped my shirt!" <laughs> like in that tone, "You ripped my shirt!" And uh, what what came to mind when he said it? It was like the exact same tone as he did um, in Kick Ass. I know you don't care much for that movie, neither do I. No. Um, but Cage is very good in that movie. Um, when he's burning alive in Kick Ass, 
and he's shouting instructions to hit girl mm-hmm. um, she has a strobe light attached to her pistol and he's on fire and he's like Chah! you got the light <laughs> and he says it in like the exact same tone and I, I was just like oh my god that's perfect but yeah this leads to a uh, cage uh dipping his finger into some demon jizz well, he does a little bump of cocaine. He's like, "Why not?" <laughs> yeah, you know, why not? Yeah, he he's like kind of going through the kitchen. He finds his gear. He finds his axe. Yeah, and he the the jar that the cult guy gives the biker gang that he just starts chugging from. Like he just takes a big old gulp from. Cage dips his finger into and puts it on his tongue, and it just sends him through the roof basically like he is high as fuck oh yeah there's a gorgeous uh, there's a gorgeous um uh raiders of the lost dark face melt in there i'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure they did it using the same technology too which is like wax wax melting with like a hair hair dryer or something maybe this was the director's response to like the we've talked about nostalgia like we're just jerking off to all the stuff we liked when we were kids and he's like this is how you do it you just give nods in movies and you make a completely different movie you don't just oh, 10 years later we're going to make uh, a sequel to a movie that nobody wanted well, I, or, I mean I think that's how things should be like you, yeah. should, you should always strive to make your own product but if you can give subtle nods to that which came before the things that got you into filmmaking in the first place then more power to you because this is Uh very much an original story and his name is directly attached to it like i think it was written and story by panos cosmatos i believe it is yeah oh Um, uh side note um kind of off topic but uh does this count as a smoking movie for you because you've you've mentioned before in other movies that certain movies make you want to smoke and i noticed there's so much on this one um there is quite a bit of smoking, but yes. So he he fights the um, the last gimp, basically, who's just you know roasting marshmallows uh, at a burning car. He's not actually roasting marshmallows, but he's like he's doing something by the car. He's doing like the equivalent of like when you when you watch a kid like staring at a television, sitting too mm-hmm. close. He's basically he's doing just that. Doing that. He's just like zoned yeah. out, staring into the fire. By the way, one of those small things that doesn't make sense that maybe. You could interpret as uh, maybe he missed or something. Um, Cage actually shoots him like through the throat mm. with the crossbow, and it does nothing. Yeah, Cage is he is like high as fuck. On like you have to remember, he's doing this whole thing high, and I think he th- he thinks in his mind he shot him, but I don't think he actually did. Because we see him like yank it all the way through his own throat, but he doesn't even turn around. So yeah, maybe he just completely missed. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the, either the drugs or like he either did just like completely get like the side or something and he just pulls it through. But again, um, he doesn't even turn around. <laughs> like he no. just stands there and then Cage comes down with the axe of all axes. Uh, the the metal axe and yeah, he dispatches this man from this world and um, he picks up a cigarette. This is where he picks up a cigarette and starts smoking. He so, smoked yeah, a no, few this... times in the movie, but that was one of the more noteworthy examples. No, this this was not um, this was not a smoking movie for me. I was watch. I I think this was after like a double, and I just I had a like one beer. I was just sitting there like just relaxing, kind of sipping on a beer for a little bit. Um, but yeah, so now now he's dispatched the biker gang, and they're out of the way. Yeah. Now he has to find the cult leader. Yeah. So he has he has to go pay Joe Chill a visit. 
Yeah. So he, I don't know how he finds Joe Chill is the chemist. He's the one manufacturing this LSD. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how he finds them. It doesn't really matter, but he does. Um, <laughs> and this is a really, this was a weird scene. I, I like this scene. It's it's just odd. Um, but Nick Cage just kind of walks up quietly behind him, and he's in this big, um, big warehouse, big open um, barn or warehouse, and he's just kind of like talking to himself a little bit. He just kind of sen- he doesn't even hear him. He just kind of senses that he's there because um, he's probably high as fuck, cooking more LSD. Um, sentences are heightened, and he just kind of turns around and he just he has an exchange with him, and he's not really appreciating the situation like he's just out of it and he has as we learn a pet tiger and he just he's he says something like she won't attack me and he like opens up the opens up the cage and the tiger gets out and it doesn't even it just kind of walks off it just leaves mm-hmm. the building and he says bye to it and everything but he's, yeah. he says something it, like it's, if it's good it won't attack me so I'm yeah. guessing he's referencing the drugs. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he does he torture this guy or does he just pretty much ask no, him? Um, they never, as far as I can tell, they never get within 100 feet of each other. Um, and it's worth pointing out that I don't think Cage speaks um, for at least a half hour of the movie. Um, pretty much after he gets on the drugs up until the baby, basically the last scene. Um, he doesn't say a fucking word. Um, yeah, he doesn't really. But yeah, when he's talking to Joe Chill, they just have an awkward exchange. Joe Chill senses that the 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 cult and or the bikers wronged him in some way, and uh, he just gives him one word. He just says north. Yeah, and, uh, and so I'm guessing he pointed him in the right direction. But um, <laughs> the transition between um, their conversation and Cage heading north. Um, is the most laughable shot in the whole movie to me anyway um it's gorgeous i love it um i i could totally see some idiot making a poster of it and putting it up proudly in their home it's a tiger roaring with like a cosmic background and like mm-hmm. the planets in the background but yeah. it's like the green screen on the tiger isn't great <laughs> but it's yeah, just it's... this completely extraneous shot that had no business being in the movie but it's like fuck if i had a tiger and a green screen and a movie filled with trippy visuals. Fuck yes, I would do that. Why not? Because yeah. <laughs> I think part of that this movie is that too. Is like people are going to go to the theater and watch this for only one weekend, and like this is a movie you probably would want to smoke pot and watch, and that's just an extra. Like, whoa, what is that? <laughs> whoa, that tiger's whoa. in space. <laughs> um, so now he's hunting them down and he's picking them off. And the first uh, people that he runs across is the elderly cult man and the young girl are in a car with each other for some reason. And he's put out the road spikes. Um, and they they go over the road spikes. And how does he kill the old man? Um, remember how I said the metal axe has a, a, a spike on the bottom of the handle? <clears throat> uh, he puts it into his mouth. Yes, and uh, slowly we, doesn't very he? Very slow. slow. Yeah, he kind of eases it in there, and then he jams it in there, and we get some some good blood coming out of his mouth, and some very effective sound effects, gurgling noises good. in the lake. I mean, as soon as you mentioned the blade, I'm like, yeah, he puts it in. Yeah, no, the the that guy in particular had it coming. Um, and uh, then the yeah. girl, the girl though, he leaves. 
Yeah. He does nothing. He, he can he feels her energy. I think he realizes that she's been through enough and she doesn't want to be there. So he's just like just go. Go do something. <laughs> yeah, he just um, turns his he just turns around and heads towards the camp and uh next we get the uh kind of special looking fella that's cleaning the car. Yeah, it doesn't take much um, to get he, this guy. The only reason he was notable is that um the actor they chose has an interesting facial structure. Like his bone structure is yes. kinda odd. Um, and then there's a funny comedic bit uh, when they're summoning the bikers for the first time that uh, well, they have to wait for the bikers to show up and he's doing the window oh, up no, and down no. and you can just see it on the the older cult member's face just like, oh my god, this fuck stick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't say anything, yeah. but his face communicates more. But So <sighs> this guy's cleaning his car and he gets, he gets the metal axe to the forehead. Mm-hmm. Uh, thrown, mm-hmm. by the way. And then we get the chainsaw fight. Yeah, and uh, it's so funny. We were talking about it in the Evil Dead episode. We talked about chainsaw fights, and then you mentioned Mandy was on Prime, or it was available for renting. Yeah. We didn't even know that there was a chainsaw fight in Mandy. Oh. Um, do you want to talk about the chainsaw fight? Uh, so, yeah, there's a cult member that um, he's very muscular. <clears throat> yeah, not not guy. a very handsome fellow, but he's he's a big guy. Um, yeah. So he was the one who was uh, holding Mandy on the rope. So they had her yeah. hanging, suspended by a rope when she was in the sleeping bag, and he was the one holding the rope. And uh, when we have all those close-ups of the cult members' faces, uh, there's a variety of uh, reactions that they all have. Um, the, uh, the old guy seems satisfied. Um the special looking guy uh, is like doing finger guns and is having a grand old time. Uh, the old lady is she's damn happy to see the you know lady that was basically taking her place make her exit. Uh, the younger woman she uh, she seems kind of aloof. Yeah. Um, Thomas Wayne is mixed emotionally. Like you can tell he's not terribly happy to see Mandy go. But then this guy who's holding the rope, he's got like his tongue pressed against his uh, his front teeth, and he is he's enjoying, enjoying it more it. than anybody should. Yeah. Um, so Cage drops his axe and just finds a chainsaw on the ground, and just mm-hmm. just because, just for for shits and giggles, just starts yanking on the chainsaw, and uh, this muscular gentleman sees him coming because. Cage hasn't even gotten the chainsaw going yet, no, but he he's still walking going. towards him. It's like, you know, that weapon ain't ready to go just yet, but okay. And uh, again, I don't know if it's intentionally humorous or not, but the, the big guy uh, ducks behind a pile of logs and brings up the longest chainsaw I've ever seen. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be humorous because I chuckled a little bit. and like, <laughs> nice, yeah, he's got the super long chainsaw. Yeah, it's like a four-foot-long chainsaw as opposed to Nick Cage's normal chainsaw. And yeah, they have a chainsaw fight. And mm-hmm. it's uh, it's one of the better ones committed to film. I mean, I'm sure you can count on one hand the number of chainsaw fights there have been. I only know three. Uh, this, uh, Motel Hell, and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. There is a scene in a movie where somebody falls on... Oh, I know exactly what it is. I, I was watching this, and this guy actually dies by falling on the chainsaw. Um, it's in Smoking Aces, where the guy who looks at, kind of similar to this guy, um, he's in... Um, did you see that 310 to Yuma 
with I did. Um, I did. Um, do you remember the guy that Russell Crowe just shanks in the middle of the night? It's yeah. that guy. Oh, okay. Um, he falls on a chainsaw in that movie, and uh, he actually looks kind of like this big muscular dude. Um, he's yeah. um, a little too old now. It's funny been... enough, uh, there's a game called uh, Dead Rising that uh, there's a clown that's a boss in the game. It, the whole game takes place during a zombie outbreak, and people go nuts. And so a lot of the bosses in the game are human survivors that turn psychopath. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, long story yeah. short, the clown, when you beat him, uh, the cutscene that plays for his, his grand death is uh, he's a chainsaw juggler and he falls on one of his chainsaws and it's pretty fucking creepy because he's laughing like insidiously the entire time he's laying on the chainsaw just like the joker would go out yeah uh and uh yeah this big gentleman uh gets defeated via uh, a steel chain around the neck and he gets yanked onto his own chainsaw and blah, a lot of blood yeah it's pretty tasty so now we have to go find the cult leader but before we get to the cult leader we get to the old woman who is just sitting in kind of a cave it looks like right before that i just want to say um the church pyramid mm, is gorgeous yes. it's beautiful yeah i i was gonna send it to you last night that there's a gif of it i was just gonna send it i'm like nah i want to wait till he watches it <laughs> it might ruin something but yeah that was one of the one of the images i wanted to yeah, I'm gonna send it to you. It's just it's really good. Um, I'm guessing they constructed it. Uh, it looks like something you'd see at Burning Man almost. Yeah, it um, it doesn't look expensive. Like it does look like yeah. something that those people could build. But the uh, I don't know the symmetry, the design, and uh, there's that one shot when they're first when you were first going into it where the cross on the on the church uh, it's shaped like a pyramid, like a skinny pyramid. Um, you can see like the awning on the inside through it and it just has this incredible it looks like a like a pink floyd image or something it's, it's yeah. pretty cool and um i'm not describing it properly the point is the structure is very cool and a and combination looks, of like the pink lighting and stuff really makes it special and i guess we're led to believe that this cult leader is just getting started basically because he's about he's going to be building his church out in the desert basically or some kind of quarry um <laughs> Well, we get to the old woman. Mm-hmm. And she's sitting in front of the Scarface background for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, he he goes up to her, and they have an exchange of some kind. I don't know. Does she plea or does she talk? Does she talk shit to him? Like she offers her body. Um, oh, she, yeah, she's right. she's embracing him and basically saying like the the leader likes me the best because of my empathy because I know how to satisfy my lovers better than anyone else because i can anticipate their moves and cage doesn't even look at her and then no. we we cut to the cult leaders like cul-de-sac like i don't even know where he is it's like a pit of some sort yeah he's a, it doesn't look like a happy place um <laughs> he's kind of just pacing back through there and he's i think he's about to get it on with the old woman i think that's could be what's yeah. about to happen or the the young girl either way um he hears someone coming and he's kind of like swaying and like oh fuck yes but he says he that. says come no further god is in this room <laughs> <laughs> and then he yeah, and then he turns around and he figures out oh oh no no um he rolls her head into the uh yeah. cage just tosses first. her head into the room <laughs> yeah. very effective if you want to scare the shit out of somebody um if you've decapitated somebody very recently roll their head in there that'll scare the shit out of them um 
So yeah, the gravity of the situation is hit him, and he's trying whatever he can to. He's basically a backup against the wall. Like there's nowhere for him to go, and he knows it's pretty much going to happen. Um, how does he die? Uh, he's. I mean, if you don't think he's going to die, he's going to die. So the cult leader is pleading with Cage. Well, no, actually, <clears throat> kind of mirroring Cage's uh, emotional journey in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, also, cult leaders in his underwear. Um, yes, he is. He just has like a loincloth kind of thing. And mm-hmm. other, other than that, he's naked. Uh, so that's another parallel, I guess. Um, so the cult leader starts off by like insulting Cage, like saying, you're beneath me, I'm a god, you're nothing. And then Cage steps forward and grabs him by the temples and gets him onto his knees, and the guy starts pleading. And pleading turns to offering to suck his dick. Yeah, <laughs> and yes. then and then, following that, offering to blow him turns to again, you're nothing. Uh, there's nothing to be gained from this. I'm a god. You're just a man. And then Cage says, "I'm your god now." And uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three's him. Uh, if you've ever seen, I I don't think you have. But um, mm-hmm. there's a Friday the Thirteenth Part Three was a uh, 3D Wait. film. Is that the first one that actually has the mask? Yes. Okay, um, then yes, I have seen that one. Okay, so um, that movie was in 3D. Uh, and there is a death where a gentleman gets squeezed by the temples and his eyeball pops out and flies into the camera. Um, that That's basically what happens as a cult leader. <laughs> um, yes, there's a similar death in Game of Thrones and it's it's heavy. It's a very heavy <laughs> death in that series. Um but yes, uh, the cult leader has been dispatched, uh, and Cage sets fire to the place. Yeah, and we get a really good shot here. I sent it to you. It's on your phone. Um, <laughs> him leaving the uh, the church or whatever he was going to build there, and this is where Cage is probably euphoric. Like Red's character is just euphoric, but he's still like on coke lsd he's probably still a little drunk from the other night he's lost a lot of blood he's angry he's sad he's got a lot going on in his head right now um and he's he's got his car back that was the other thing is that when the the cult initially left his uh house they stole his car and he's got his car back and he's driving and um mandy shows up and this is i think this is something from the trailer as well um and he's kind of smiling. She's smiling back at him. Um, and that's kind of the end of the movie. Yeah, um, again, when she's in the car, she has a blue light on her. She has a mm-hmm. blue aura. Um, and then that's when we get the uh, the flashback that I mentioned where it's like them in some sort of public venue. It looks like a bar. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of her shots, so they're not in the frame together, but all of her shots have a, a blue lighting to them. And his shots show people in the background like smoking and drinking and I think he's smoking um, mm-hmm. but his shot is naturalistically lit um, yeah there's a lot of symbolism there that I wasn't able to interpret um, in particular the dream sequences he had he has he has at least three yeah and all of them are are 2d animated done in the style of the movie heavy metal mm-hmm. and uh, they feature a woman that I presume is supposed to be Mandy Um and there's that image of there's like a fallen beast and she pulls a, a green 
crystal of some sort out of its torso that I remember one of the passages she read from that book actually said that. And then like the first one he has is her like turning around and melting. Uh, There's one where she's like laying in the water naked and her eyes open. They're red. I don't know what any of that means, but um, they all play during scenes where he's unconscious. So they're all Mm -hmm. dreams of his. There was a, I think, um, we, we missed um, a really nice scene uh, where I think it's at the end of their work week basically and they come back and it's like Saturday morning and they go they go for like a little hike and then they're out on the water they're out yeah. on like a lake um, and you can see that they're kind of they're they're weirdly outdoorsy uh, they're, <laughs> they're uh, you wouldn't expect her to be outdoorsy but um, they're out there and then I think they camped there for the night and she was skinny dipping in the lake and she comes out and she's just completely naked standing in front of him by the fire and I think that's why when we keep seeing that woman who's the animated naked lady I think that was what the reference was from and it was probably like the last happy moment he could remember at that time was that that day that they had together okay yeah I hadn't thought of that I do remember her coming out of the water Um, they didn't show any of the nudity no, they don't show the nudity, but you—it's implied. But, like, yeah, you, um, yeah, he's at a campfire, and she like comes up, like eyes first, and just stares at him. Then she comes out of the water, and they give each other a look, and that's that's the scene. Yeah, but yeah um, that's—I think that's a solid interpretation. I, I didn't remember that actually, but um, there was one of those uh, title cards that I, I couldn't read. Um, I'm usually pretty good about being able to de- decipher fonts, but um, uh, there's the the shadow mountains or whatever and he even says 1983 and before that we get a a radio broadcast of reagan so it kind of puts you in the fucking moment um and then when we're introduced to the cult uh the title cards the children of the new dawn which Mm -hmm. i guess you could interpret as the name of the cult Mm -hmm. or again a chapter from the book that she was reading um but yeah there's one title towards the end of the movie that's all in red like splintered letters that look almost like arteries or something i want to say it said mandy but uh it was just too weird looking for me to make out i think it was mandy i think you're right um i think you're absolutely right um i'm gonna look up mandy title card (laughs) yeah that's what it was oh cool so i i I did not have a problem with that then yep yep that's it yeah that did said mandy okay um but yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the movie. So, like I said, I I, I like this movie. I think um, maybe it was just like it was unlike any movie I've ever seen. I don't know. There was just it was it's very unique. It was its own thing, and I think it was a good Nick Cage movie. Um, he was able to successfully late in his career wrangle Nick Cage into a pretty good performance. Um, it's it's odd and there's some really cringy moments there's some really heavy moments um but they they're able to get you like it there there's nothing worse than when you have a movie that's trying to get you to feel some kind of emotion and it just doesn't work and i think that every time that you see something in this film it you it works like you can feel the weight of her burning a lot no even when i wasn't entirely certain what i was meant to be feeling i felt something and a lot of it i think was just the music um, mm-hmm. It has an intensity that's hard to ignore. That in the color palette, um, and yeah, good performances across the board. Um, I'm curious though. Uh, do you think you're gonna try to follow this director? 
because I think he only has one other movie. It's it's called Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yeah, and it came out eight years ago. Um, I'm I might check it out. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll see what he comes up with next, but I might go back and watch that. I think I'm gonna have to, but I I just I'd have to see his first movie to know if I'm going to keep following him. Like what's similar about the two, what's different. Um, yeah, I really don't know. Well, it's just, he very clearly kind of a unique voice in cinema, as far as I can tell. I mean, just the combination of the imagery and the tone and the subject matter. I I Mm. can't recall seeing anything exactly like this. So I don't know. Large stretches of it really worked for me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to revisit anytime soon, but I'm kind of curious. Like if, if I hear his name thrown out there again, I'm pretty sure I'm going to pay attention. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think this would, this is one that I'll probably give a rewatch down the road. I'll probably, I'll end up buying it on Blu-ray at some point. Um, cause I'm going to want to rewatch it, but it's going to be down the road. This isn't like, uh. It might be a couple years before I rewatch. <laughs> it's like yeah, I don't think I need back-to-back Mandy's. No, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know how this was. I mean, there wasn't enough time for it to get. Like this is this would be the equivalent of it still being in theaters because it was. It would either just been pulled from theaters by the time we watched it, and it um, still wouldn't have been released yet. So, it, I feel like among the target audience, um, that is like indie fans and stuff, and like people that like the the 80s retro chic stuff it's doing very well um it has okay. a very it got very very strong word of mouth um when it was doing like the film festivals i remember reading about it a long time ago and when it came out um a lot of reviewers that i trust gave it very high praise so it's you can't pretend that this is a mainstream film it's no. really not. It's not for everyone. Absolutely but not. But among the kind of people who are attracted to these kinds of projects, um, I think it's doing very well. Gotcha. Well, what did you overall think? Was it what, what would you rank it as? Like rate it as? Oh, are we talking seven? stars or numbers? Seven, seven out of ten. Yeah. Uh, I'd give it like a seven point five or an eight. Seven point five. That's solid. That's solid. I give it an eight. I, I liked it enough. I give it an eight. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it for that one. I don't have much else to say about it. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us as we catch up on caught up on Mandy. <laughs> caught up on Mandy. Yes. <laughs> All righty. All right. Bam.